Well, today is Palm Sunday. It's the day when we recognize, celebrate uh, the last week of Jesus's life on earth. And, and the reality is on this day, we're, we're really celebrating Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. It's one of those days of celebration. I can just imagine the scene, the crowds gathered for Passover, everything is, is, is just a time of celebration. And they're really wondering what Jesus is going to do. The crowds pushing around him. They're waving palm branches in the air. They're uh, wondering what Jesus is going to do next. But what fickle people we are. You know, today's pop stars are today, uh, tomorrow's has-beens. Because in the span of seven days, we see Jesus enter in and they are shouting Hosanna, waving palm branches, saying, here is our king, to seven days later, they're saying, kill him. How can that be? I remember uh, standing in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. It's most likely the site where Jesus was actually crucified. They built a church there on that, uh, that site. And I'm standing there and there's crowds of people all around me. And, and I'm not sure what to think as I'm standing there. there. It's not exactly what I had envisioned in my mind. But I'm, I'm just struck by all the people who are coming in and out, the, the countless thousands upon thousands who come to this site every year because of the crucifixion. And I wonder, how did that happen? How did, how did Jesus go from people waving palm branches one day, being excited about what he was going to usher in for the kingdom of Israel, to being crucified on a cross between two common criminals. And the truth is, really, this happens all the time. Innocent people are killed. We, we see that all the time throughout history. And in fact, there are millions of people who have been killed just like Jesus was killed, crucified on a cross. So the question is, is why does this crucifixion matter? Why do we remember this one? You know, that's really what we're coming here today and talk about. Why does this death draw hundreds of thousands of people to go to Israel every year to, to the site there, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? What makes this death, this crucifixion, different? That's the question I, you know, as I'm standing there, I begin to ask myself, why does it matter? And more importantly, why does it matter to you and, and why does it matter to me? Now, for those of us who are Christians, we kind of know the answer, but it, it's good to remind ourselves. And I guess really the, the reality is it's all based on our perspective uh, because our text from Corinthians, it's a great text. Paul writes, he says this, he makes it clear, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This message of the cross, it is either foolishness or it is power of God for salvation. There's not much middle ground there. And it, it, it either makes no difference or it makes all the difference in the world. And that's what we're coming to look at today. And for me, it truly is salvation. Salvation by the power of God. It is, for, for me, it's the pivot point of history. It's the pivot point of our faith. This is the message of our faith. And as we've been going through this seedbed series, this theme of the cross, it's, it's kind of woven throughout. Uh, we've been talking about the, the foundational themes of our faith. 
And if you remember, we started back and we talked about the Trinity, that God is best known by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we looked in week two at the Bible, that this is the rule of our faith and our guide, and it tells us about God's rescue plan, and especially here in the cross and the crucifixion. And then third, we spoke about the bride of Christ, the, the church, you and me. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about holiness and grace. Remember, we talked about God being a holy God, and he calls us to holiness, and it is only by his grace that we can be made holy that we can be perfected, that we can be sanctified uh, in him. It's not because of us, it's because of God's work through Christ and that we have been created in his image and we should be a reflection of his holiness and grace. And last week we spoke about heaven and hell and where, and where you go is determined by what leader you are following. And so I encourage you, if you've uh, missed any of these sermons in this series, I would encourage you to go back uh, watch them online either on YouTube or our uh, website or our Facebook page uh, and catch up because all of these themes are, are woven together and especially this theme as we talk today about the work of the cross. It truly informs and weaves throughout everything else we've been looking at. The work of the cross is central to our faith. This work on the cross, you know, it's been prophesied hundreds of, of years before in our scriptures. We see these prophecies coming through the prophets of God as they're pointing forward to the coming Messiah, to Jesus. I just want to read some of these texts from our Old Testament, from some of the prophets. From Micah 5.2 we read, But you, Bethlehem, through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Here Micah is prophesying about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, that the ruler will come from Bethlehem. In Isaiah 53, 9, we read these words. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And we know after Jesus was crucified on the cross that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And so we see this prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus uh, in the Gospels where a rich man bought his own tomb, had never been used before, and laid Jesus in that tomb. Again from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. You remember in Jesus' life, he stood in the synagogue, and he's reading that text from Isaiah. And what happens when he finishes that text? Jesus claims that he is the fulfillment of that text. And, and so we see in what Jesus says, he's the fulfillment of the prophecies of old. We see how he was born, even in his death, he's fulfilling these prophecies. And even in the prophecy that we're celebrating today on Palm Sunday, it comes from Zechariah 9, 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. That's why we celebrate on Palm Sunday that Jesus is riding into town uh, and they're shouting and they're saying Hosanna and he's riding on a colt and a donkey there as he's coming in, uh, fulfilling this prophecy. And then in the Psalms, we read about uh, the prophecy of the crucifixion. Psalm 22, 16 and 18, and it says this, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. 
that image of being crucified on a cross. And then verse 18, they divide my clothes among themselves and for my clothing, they cast lots. And if you remember the soldiers, while Jesus is being crucified, they stripped him of his tunic and they didn't want to rip it. So they, uh, they rolled dice, they cast lots to see who would get his clothing. And there's an interesting study uh, from Peter Stoner, uh, an interesting name there, but he's the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College. And, and there have been many studies like this, but in his study, he took his class of about 600 students through a probability exercise of, of eight of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah uh, in the Old Testament that we read in the Old Testament. And he concluded that the probability of anyone satisfying these eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. And that number would look like this. We'll put it up on the screen. That's a hundred quadrillion. That's a big number. And this was, as he said, was kind of a conservative number. He described his findings in this way, and I quote, let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat, thoroughly mix and stir them up, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one. His chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Makes sense, right? And suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power uh, silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. I like that he used Texas there. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. And that's just one of eight prophecies. And, and we see uh, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why this crucifixion matters. That's why it is so important. The Bible, as we've talked about, it is pointing to our Messiah. It is one grand story. And here we see in the cross and in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the fulfillment of this word. Uh, the probability number of one man fulfilling all these prophecies is a number beyond our comprehension. But Jesus was the one to do it in its fullness. In Luke 18, 31, we read these words. It says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything written about the Son of Man and the prophets will be fulfilled. Jesus knew what he was doing. How great is the God that we serve as we look at this pivot point in history. And let's turn again to our scripture in, uh, to, from Paul to the church in Corinth. Now, some of you may know about this city uh, of Corinth, but in its heyday uh, during this period of time in the Roman Empire, Corinth was an important metropolitan city. It was a place of trade. It was situated in, in a, a trade route, both on land and it was a, an important seaport as well. And you had all kinds of people coming through this area. One of the largest cities of the Roman Empire. And by the end of the second century, it had become one of the richest cities in the world. And it was known for its wealth and what it did. It was also known as one of the most <laughs> wicked and immoral cities of the ancient times. 
The city was famous for its worship of uh, the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty and sex. Uh, and its most famous temple to Aphrodite uh, could be seen for miles around. It stood at a prominent point in the city. And you can imagine, everything uh, was fair game sexually. It, it was just a, a pretty immoral city. It was the, the Las Vegas of its time. Uh, the, the temple there, it was believed to have housed 1,000 temple prostitutes. And Paul lived there for about 18 months uh, in his second missionary journey uh, to the Gentiles, as he's trying to form a church there in the midst of this pagan metropolitan city. Uh, and it was an important church, uh, important church uh, for these early Christians. Uh, and three years after the church was planted, Paul would write his first letter back to the church because it was experiencing some, some troubles, some difficulties, some division. And Paul's trying to remind them of who they are. Uh, and he's addressing that in his letter. And leading up to our verse for today, Paul brings to the forefront of his letter what the church of Corinth, as well as all of us as believers, have because of Jesus Christ. This is important for us. He says that because of Christ, you who believe in are sanctified and we are called to be saints. We are called to live differently. That you have, because of that calling of sanctification and being made whole, we have been given grace and peace. And it was given to you through Jesus Christ, through this pivot point. You've been enriched in all speech and knowledge, and this testimony of, of Jesus has been confirmed in our lives. And Paul is reminding us that we don't lack anything, that the spiritual gifts that we have been given and the gift of love that we are called uh, to love each other and to love the world. And, and because of Jesus, that we one day are going to stand guiltless before God. Uh, and that's amazing. And that we have been called to be in fellowship with one another and in fellowship because in Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is reminding these believers, and, and I'm reminding us again today, that we are in Christ, in Christ alone. And because sometimes we forget that. We forget or we take for granted this pivot in history, this crucifixion, the work of the cross. And here's what Paul says uh, when he's talking about this. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Christ, or I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Here, here Paul is saying, don't be divided. You Christians, remember that you all follow Christ. And he goes on in verse 8, 17 and 18. He says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. It is the power of God for us. And it feels like there are a lot of people at times in the church, especially, that don't feel qualified to share the message of the cross. They, they don't understand it fully, or, or maybe some don't know how to share this message or even where to start. Um, a lot of times I, I talk to people and, and they believe, you know, they're just not good enough. And, and that could be so far from the truth of the message of the cross. And the, we feel like our past sometimes exempts us from that calling to share the gospel. But 
Nothing that we have done voids that calling that we have to share this message, this message of the cross that is salvation to those of us being saved. We should share it. We both receive it and then we share it. Uh, even in the very letter Paul t- talks about, he, he doesn't think he's qualified. Uh, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So important. You know, Paul even says, yeah, I'm not qualified. We might not feel like we're qualified, but we all are. For those of us who have received this salvation, we receive the power of God. So what do you tell people? You tell them the work of the cross. You tell them what the work of the cross means for you. That you were a sinner and now you've been saved by grace. Uh, That's what this whole series, again, is, is reminding us of our beliefs, of our foundation. This is what we stand upon. Uh, There is no person who's exempt from the opportunity of receiving this power, this atonement of sin by the work of the cross. And there's no believer exempt from sharing it. We receive it and we share it. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, Paul says this, And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It doesn't matter where we are. We don't boast in our own wisdom, but we have received wisdom from God and we have been made righteous. We have been sanctified. We've been redeemed. Those are big words. Those are words that Christians like to use, but let's just look at those three real quick. That word righteousness, in that verse, it means we're being, we've been justified. We have, uh, we have been just. We have been made upright. We have a proper heart. Our heart belongs with God. It has been made right with God. It, in its most highest and perfect sense, it's an attribute of the character of God. We are becoming like Christ. We have been made righteous like Christ is righteous. And then it talks about us being sanctified or sanctification. It's what we spoke about earlier when we were talking about holiness and grace, uh, that we've been purified, made holy, uh, not because of what we've done, but because of the work of Christ on the cross. And then finally, that word redemption, meaning we have been ransomed. We have been released. We have been freed. We have been delivered on account of the ransom that was paid for us. Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty of our sin. And we have been delivered from the power of sin and death into life. And that's really the message that we have of the, of the cross. This is the message of the work of the cross that we have been called to share to all the nations, to everyone. And, and I hope that you uh, are reminded again, especially on this Palm Sunday, that uh, it doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done, but we should come to Christ like those disciples that did, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But let us not turn our backs like they did uh, seven days later. But this message that we have is a message of salvation coming from the King. Uh, though Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, he didn't stop there. Next week, Easter, we'll talk about that very thing, the resurrection, uh, and how that 
resurrection is a testimony to the ultimate power of God and that power of God in our lives to transform us and to transform our hearts. So here's my prayer for you this week. It's, it's Holy Week, the week before Easter. I, I hope you'll reflect, take some time to reflect on the work of the cross. Go back and read those stories in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're at the end of those four Gospels. And read those stories. Place yourself in that story. And then think about someone in your life who may need to hear that story. Uh, that may need to go from that person who thinks it's foolishness into a person who's being saved by the power of God. And pray for them. Invite them to church. That's my prayer. Let's, let's pray this, this day. Lord, we thank you again. We thank you for this Palm Sunday. May we be a people that are always praising you, always thanking you for the work of the cross. It is the pivot of history and it is effective in our lives today. May it not be foolishness for us, but may it be power because we have been saved by his amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Go in peace.